What is up? Welcome to Forefront 360, where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. My name is Cody Schweikert, and I have two wonderful gentlemen in studio with me today. Uh, I have Rich Christman to my right. Hello. How are you, Rich? I'm doing just fine. Just fine. I always, I feel like a pattern that's emerged from these episodes, these little arts reviews we do, is me describing what you're wearing mm. for some reason. Okay. I feel tempted to do that right now. Feel but free. It's just that you're very fashion forward. I take my cues from you and you know what I'm not, I'm going to do? I'm going to not describe it. it I'll, t- I'll say this to our listeners. It's casual yet elegant and rustic yet genuine. Wow, <laughs> I that, know. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I really appreciate the description. Um, but beyond that, I'm not going to say anything specifically because the mystery is kind of enticing. That's true. You know what I mean? You so know, yeah, I'll leave it at that too. Actually, we're going to leave it at that. Rich is in studio. He looks great, and he's ready to record. I just got a haircut too. So you did. Yeah. You did actually. Yeah, I, yeah, so yeah, it's I meant pretty to, nice. I meant to say something. It is pretty Solid. nice if you do say so yourself. Um, it was my mom that oh, did it. Really? So. Yeah. What'd she charge? Nothing. Hmm. For, I'll, for I'll you, get, but for me, I'll get she, you. I'll get you in the in the docket. So okay, give me the docket. Year. We'll talk off air. It's tacky to talk business on air. So, uh, I also have Nate Mancini sitting across from me. Nate, how are you, man? Hello, I'm doing excellent. You are doing excellent. You're always so precise with your language. You enunciate very well. It's just a pleasure to do radio with you, Nate. Thank you. Yeah, I guess another way to put it is doing excellent work. <sighs> Hopefully, we'll see. That's the hope. Well, you just set the bar. So I hope what you have to share is excellent. At Forefront, that's the bar. That is always the bar here. We don't always reach it, uh, but I think mostly we do. (laughs) We're at least jumping. We're jumping. And according to uh, all the reviews that uh, folks have left on the podcast app for Forefront 360, uh, they seem to think we're hitting the bar. So Yeah. And we, I mean, money doesn't lie. We just bought a skyscraper in Manhattan with all the money we make off this show, uh, which is where we are right now recording. (laughs) Hmm. Right, right. Yeah. And at the risk of being misleading and you not being able to see through my sarcasm, that's not true. But <laughs> we we do this show because we love to. And uh, that's that's all the reward we need, okay? If you want to leave a review, you're welcome to. If you want to send us bundles of cash, you know, if if you feel led to do that, then do it. But yeah, we're just freedom in Christ. We're, we're recording either way. So that's right. uh, without further ado, we're the gonna, work will get done. That's right. And uh, we're going to start a little arts review now. Just the three of us today, just the triumvirate. Yeah. And uh, that's all we need. Small scale, not trying to do anything huge, not trying to blow the lid off, not trying to, you know, go big or go home. We're just trying to be ourselves. We're regular guys. We're we're lunch pail, blue collar radio uh, workers. That's right. So, uh, Nate, you're going to kick us off with uh, something you've been enjoying lately. Absolutely. Just kind of cultivating our little plot of land here. So I'd like to to talk about a book that I've been reading called Adorning the Dark by Andrew Peterson. Andrew is an an author and he is a musician and he's the founder of an organization called The Rabbit Room, which is actually pretty similar to Forefront in many ways. And um, this book called Adorning the Dark has has been around for a little bit. He put it out last year. And it's a book that's kind of uh, half a book about the arts and art making and half a memoir of his life. And they're kind of woven together. And so I think it's, it's a very kind of authentic and real book that you feel like uh, he's just talking to you and telling you about his experiences and, and out of his experiences kind of uh, generating ideas and uh, kind of these profound thoughts about the arts. 
and so in that way, you know, he comes from the, the, the position of doing writing and, and doing music. Uh, but then the thoughts that he has about the arts kind of filter through into whatever medium you might be working in. So I found it to be a, a really beautiful book. And I'd love to, you know, dive in more on a future episode. Andrew, if you're listening, come on the podcast. We'd love to talk to you more about it. But um, I thought I'd start by just just giving you guys a few passages from the book and just use that as a jumping off point to, to talk a little bit about it. So um, this is a, a section from chapter seven. And Andrew's talking about uh, stories that he used to read as a child and kind of the longing he experienced as he read them. He says, my craving for those tales occupied a private part of my adolescence. They represented my loneliness, the only antidote for which was the seemingly impossible dream that life could be lived alongside trusty companions and in defiance of great evil. I looked out, and he's talking about his grandmother's window, and saw crabgrass, old trucks, clouds of mosquitoes, and gravel roads, a rural sloth that drawled, here's your life, son, make do. But my book said, here's a sword, lad, get busy. A persistent fear sizzled in my heart, a fear that there existed no real adventure other than the one on the page, and that I was doomed never to know it. Wow. And so <laughs> I love kind of starting off with that because it it just it paints this picture of a kid who just he just wants there to be adventure in life and he wants there to be beauty and glory and, and great things to do and accomplish, but like there he is in his grandma's farmhouse and everything just <laughs> seems so boring and there's just nothing there. Um, and so I just wondered, yeah, what, what do you guys think about that? And uh, do you, do you, did you resonate with, with that thought at all? Yeah, there, there seems to be a disconnect, right? Where you're, you're lost in a book or a story or even your imagination that you know that life matters and it means something and it's important, but the reality of the day-to-day, even as a kid, and I think gets more intense as you get older, right? The yeah. monotony of responsibility and uh, kind of doing the same thing over and over again, and it's easy to fall into this. Uh, I, I don't know. You you feel disillusioned the older you get, right? Mm-hmm. The idea of an adventure. I used to pretend I was a superhero all the time, right? It was a good excuse for me to beat up my brothers and sure. wrestle and – um, I had this crazy imagination and then as, as I got older, responsibilities increased, I think I had less room for that. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, as Christians, there is a real sense of adventure and there is this real sense of, uh, you know, things matter and this has an eternal weight and yeah. this, this life that we've been given to steward, whether it's a, it's, maybe it's not a sword, maybe it is, which, you know, maybe it is, maybe it's just a pen though, or a shovel might be or, mightier. Might yeah. be, yeah, it could be. <laughs> uh, but there, there is still a sense of adventure if if we're uh, maintaining an eternal perspective. But it's some days that's more clear than others as an adult. Yeah, isn't that why we like uh, stories so much? And like humans of all cultures and at all points in history have you know bonded over fantastic stories of adventure because that's what we all have this this hole in our in our souls that we need filled by this epic adventure which we're all part of but the day-to-day life and secularism and temptations make us feel that that's not ultimately true but we all that we all know we want that to be true mm-hmm. yeah my my wife and i were just talking about the difference between um the idea of like what 
the holiday Christmas represents to like children in American culture versus what it tends to represent to adults. Mm. And we were talking about the fact that if you look at any, you know, pretty much any, you know, Christmas movie, and I'm talking like totally secular, you know, Christmas movies for kids, it's the, the overarching theme is like the magic of Christmas, the, Mm -hmm. you know, like the, and this, there's this glorious like joy thing. Mm -hmm. And then if you look up the list of the top 20, you know, Christmas movies targeted towards adults, they're wry comedies about how much people hate being with their family and like can't wait to go home. Right. You know what I mean? And I think that that just is emblematic of the fact that that like childhood wonder that we have, I think is very much as children, we don't have, we haven't been beaten down by worldliness yet. And we're like, yeah, this is what I'm made for. Like this adventure, like let's go to the North pole. Let's see if Santa is real. You know, like this guy who loves us and gives us gifts, you know, like that sort of thing. Right. And then as adults, we're like, no, that stuff is fake. I can't stand my in-laws. You know, (laughs) And it's just really interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating. And so in a way, like part of life becomes recapturing the wonder uh, as Mike Cosper says. And I think that's, that's what kind of Andrew talks about going through his life and how um, Christ kind of ambushes him and, and Andrew found like the adventure and the glory that he was looking for in his relationship with Christ and found like exciting and interesting ways of living that out through making music. Um, And so it was kind of a journey of seeing that um, on the one hand, like there's real work to be done here and, and that work can be creative and interesting, but also like we are part of this grander story and there is this kind of grand adventure and grand mission at play. Um, and that what was in those books was not kind of a fake thing or just a made up thing, but it was actually pointing to something real, um, which is what he always wanted, but kind of feared wasn't true. So I just have one one other uh, pair of passages here I want to throw out to you guys. This one is in uh, chapter 3, and he's talking about identity and striving. He says, Stop for a moment and look around. This is our Father's world. We are sacred, you and I. We need not look anywhere but to the eyes of our Savior for our true identity, an identity which is profoundly complex, unfathomable, deep as the sea, and yet can be boiled down to one little word, beloved. That's it. And that's why it's so silly and perilous to use your gifting to clothe yourself with meaning. Those clothes will never quite fit. I once heard someone suggest that in the new creation, the work of our hands will at last be equal to what we were able to imagine. But in the meantime, living as we do in dying bodies in a dying world, our best work always falls short of the initiating vision. Toil and trouble, thistle and thorn, we push through the brush and come out bloody on the other side, only to realize that we've ascended a false peak. It's difficult, yes, but it doesn't change a thing about who we are. And in another place in that same chapter, he says, The rest of the world is chugging along just fine whether I speak up or not. I'm the kid, and the man, who doesn't raise his hand. Whenever I do, I regret it. Better to keep quiet, to work out my rejection with fear and trembling, and to keep hunting for a safe place where I'm never confronted with my own insignificance. And yet, at war with that desire to be invisible is a yearning to be seen and known and valued. That's what really led to writing, if I'm honest. In the beginning, it wasn't about glorifying my maker. It was about declaring my own existence for my own sake. It took a long time to realize that was a dead end, literally. This book is about a better way. And even now, I have to fight to follow it.
Oh, that speaks to me so clearly. How so? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. My, uh, let's call it my young adult life, maybe, from like senior in high school till now, um, has been just like a journey of trying to find like identity and meaning and, and value. Like he just said in that quote, like mm-hmm. you want to be, you don't want people to see that you are actually just normal like everybody else, but you also want people to see you as like valuable and unique and you want people to hold you to this standard that you have for yourself when you're in a good mood and stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, but I think that the, uh, I think it's just so true that that will never, like he said, it, it's a dead end, literally. You know, like, there's no, like, even if all of those things that we wish for, like fame and respect and whatever, were granted to us, it really doesn't matter, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the idea that we ultimately want to be seen and valued, but then also at the same time, we, we want to be part of something bigger than ourselves, like part of a collective, right? Yeah. And and that's precisely what Christ offers. Yeah. And it, it, it to me, it seems that it can't be coincidental that we, those are the exact things that everyone wants. And like, mm-hmm. you know, so much of like 21st century thought right now is like, how do we, you know, finally stop this like, age long or you know age old human yearning for place and community Mm -hmm. and you know and we have a mental health crisis in america right now well documented because of the lack of community people don't feel like they're seen and valued yet they have thousands of followers on social media but they don't feel they don't feel seen you know it's just so interesting yeah yeah it's this desire to especially artists i think uh which is i assume most of our our listenership but artists have this desire to be validated, right? To say, Hey, I made this. Is it good? You know, world, is this good? And that's just what you were talking about, Rich, this, this need to be validated and to make it, you know, whatever that means. Um, and it's not wrong to pursue success in the arts, even financial success, right? It's not a bad thing. Um, like Melanie Penn said on a show once upon a time, like promote your stuff. It's, it's okay. Like, but at the same time that if we're chasing the fame and, and, and we're trying to use that to satisfy us, it'll disappoint us, right? That's right. Yeah, we all know that. But when somebody who's actually arrived and experienced some success, the, the author of this, Andrew, Andrew right? Peterson, Andrew yeah. Peterson he, he's a pretty successful guy. And so he says it to, to us who are kind of, we're still young and naive and our dreams are massive still and we can do anything. Uh, and maybe we can, I don't know. But uh, it's one thing to get there and say, oh yeah, that wasn't satisfying. I got to, I got to rest in Christ, not the approval of others. It's, it's another thing to hear someone older say that and trust them. Yeah. You know, sometimes it takes getting there yourself and wasting a bunch of time and effort chasing the wrong things to come to that conclusion. But right. uh, if we trust, if we have faith, we can, we can save a lot of, I don't know, save some years, I guess. Yeah. It sounds like he ripped off Ecclesiastes a little bit. No, oh, it's such a, it, that's a that's the best uh, compliment you can pay a Christian I, book, I know, right? He ripped yeah, off the scriptures. <laughs> little little allusion to scripture going yeah. on. Yeah. 
Um, no, that, that's definitely a good thing. I, I think that what he brought out there was this kind of weird dichotomy that a lot of us have between wanting to kind of shrink back and like not be seen. Like, like, like he said, I, I regret raising my hand. Like I want to be that kid in class who just doesn't raise his hand and just stays silent so that nobody kind of knows me. But then also like, but I, I, I want to be seen and I want to be known. And I like, I want people to like applaud my work and stuff. And so you end up on this this like dichotomy of like both bad options, right? Being totally just not seen or being seen. And that kind of becomes your identity that people love you. Um, and so I think that that Andrew was talking about trying to find that, that third way that wasn't either of those things, but is a way of like doing good work and, and putting it out there and like being in community, like, like Rich was saying, like having actual community and, and sharing it with the world. Um, but it not being an identity and the identity being fully in Christ and, and actually the, the goal being like the pursuit of Christ and drawing people um, to kind of look upward uh, rather than just like look at him. Mm-hmm. And so that's, um, it's a great, you know, kind of profound fundamental thought for, for any artist. And uh, I'd encourage you to, to check out the book and, and, you know, see Andrew's journey and, and see just ways that it maps to, to your own journey in the arts um, think Give us really the name beneficial. of the book one more time. Yeah, it's called Adorning the Dark, uh, which is a great title. Adorning the Dark by Andrew Peterson. You can grab it wherever books are sold. Beautiful book, too. I've got a copy. I haven't finished yeah. it yet, but it's a beautiful book. Yeah, gorgeous cover and everything. Yep. Yeah. Most of the books I buy are, uh, I, I judge a lot of books by their covers, <laughs> and then they sit on my shelves, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a beautiful book, and then I crack them open. I read like 12 pages and then I do something else and then I forget and to finish. You, and then you close it and you're like, ah, oh, it's a beautiful book. Beautiful book. Though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, you read it? No, but look at it. Ah, it's no, beautiful. But yeah. Just look at it. It's art. <laughs> All right. Cool. Nate, thank you, man. That was a, that was a good, um, weighty, thoughtful start. Cool. Thank you. Leave it to Nate Mancini. Am I right? Mm-hmm. I was just quoting the book. Well, yeah, but you selected those passages. Uh, I did. Richard. Take us on a, a journey right. to a land far away. Yeah, so get ready for 2004. A, get ready, or whatever. yeah. <laughs> so get ready for a slight change in in weightiness. But um, so what, what I want to, yeah, what I want to talk to you guys about is actually the uh, old Nickelodeon TV show Avatar: The Last Airbender. So uh, some of you guys have been familiar with this since, yeah, like 0405 on Nickelodeon. Um, but uh, the reason why I'm talking about this now is. Uh, because a lot of people, uh, millions of people actually, are uh, discovering or rediscovering this show right now on Netflix. Uh, both Avatar The Last Airbender, the first show, and then the sequel, Avatar The Legend of Korra, are up on Netflix right now. They're, you know, for the past, like, over a month, they've been in the top five shows. You know, when you open your Netflix and it says, like, number whatever in the U.S. today. They've both been up there uh, for months now. So millions and millions of people are watching these. Um and just uh, this past week, a podcast that I listened to, NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, just did a really good review of it. So if you want to listen to that as well and get a little bit more of like an academic look into why this show is worth your time, uh, feel free to look into that as well. But um, so like I said, there is there is two shows. There's The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. I'm going to focus mostly on the first one because I think it, uh, I and many other people think that it's a fundamentally better of the two. Um you know, at me in the chat on, on Forefront if you disagree. The Legends but, of Korra came afterward. Is yes, that right? Okay. Yeah. So the first show was like 2005 to 2007 or 2008. Mm-hmm. And then the the uh, second show was 2000, 
2012, I think, to 2014. Those years might be wrong, so... But it's that general animated, music. right? It's yes. Not, so uh, these shows are animated. So for those of you that are not familiar, um, they're an American animated show that is influenced by um, the art style of Hayao Miyazaki, who did the Studio Ghibli films like uh, My Neighbor Totoro and Spirited Away and Howl's Moving Castle. If you've seen any of these shows, um, it is not. Um, although it has that kind of Japanese um, style to it, and the show is very much influenced by Asian. East Asian cultures. It is an American show made by American uh, animators and writers, um, originally by Nickelodeon. Um, and another thing that's happening, just before it gets too far away from me, another reason why this is kind of being talked about right now is um, the show um, is being remade by Netflix into an epic scale, quote unquote, uh, Netflix live action show. Not to be confused with M. Night Shyamalan's, yes, uh, yes. dare so, I say, abysmal yes. live action so, um, so people, Avatar, or Avatar fans the world over and the Avatar creators have, have written and spoken out for years about how M. Night Shyamalan's film, The Last Airbender, is... Apocryphal. Yes, is is hasn't is M. apocryphal. M night. M night. We're not saying you're abysmal. We're just saying this particular. Yes. Pro- In fact, this is a pro sixth sense podcast. Yes, okay. your your film signs was very influential to me as a child. <laughs> I uh, I swing okay. a baseball bat occasionally to make sure that I can still beat aliens <laughs> if I have to. Yeah. Defend your family. Exactly. But um. Anyway, but the uh, but don't if you're interested in Avatar, I I would advise you to stay away from that live action film called the um. The Last, the last airbender. airbender. And also don't confuse it with uh, James Cameron's Avatar yes. or its many sequels. Yes, to be although made. I did enjoy that movie a lot, but that is not nothing to do with this. <laughs> Completely unrelated. Yeah, so yes. if you want to know about the, t- you know, Avatar The Last Airbender, the good show, um, you'll you'll recognize it by the fact that it is animated um, and it is uh, influenced. So the story, you know, I'm not going to give too many spoilers here. I will a little bit. So spoiler alert, if you want to go watch the show, I'll give you a spoiler alert when I'm about to give like more juicier details but for now um the show the show is uh is based on this idea it's a fantasy land uh inspired by asian culture uh it's been compared a lot the the land of the show has been compared by critics uh more studied than i as to middle earth in the lord of the rings so they say picture right so they say picture um middle earth if it was inspired by japanese chinese and indian culture rather than western culture um so that's kind of the world we got and we have these four nations that are based on the classical elements so we have the fire nation the earth kingdom the air nomads and the water tribes and the the premise right off the top you know without getting too deep is each of these um similar to the harry potter world um each of these nations uh have benders which are people that can bend in out of thin air that element that they're from. So people from the fire nation that are fire benders can produce fire in their hands and feet. Um, genetically, they're born with the ability. But like in Harry Potter, not everyone is. So like how in Harry Potter there are muggles or uh, you know no madges in the new bad movies. Yeah. But anyway, um, the uh, but anyway. So uh, Real, really in the fantasy weeds here. Yeah, we're really there. No, but <laughs> but I will uh, I will say one of the reasons why Avatar is so good is because it draws from so many series that have been very successful before it and and its contemporaries, and it does it in a way that's not disrespectful or like cheaply pulling from these other successes. Mm-hmm. But um, 
Why am I talking about this on forefront though? So I, I don't um, know. Yeah, I'm getting know. there. I'm getting there. I'm <laughs> trying to get there. I trust you, Rich. I, I trust so, you. So I love this show so much. I just watched it. I've never seen it before up until like about a month ago. And I watched the whole show, both of them. Um, they're not very long. The first one is only three seasons uh, and the episodes are 25 minutes long. You can go through it pretty quickly. But um, I just love this show now. So it's hard for me to like narrow down what I'm talking to you guys about. <laughs> but um the point is, before I get into the, the the meat, is one thing that's just so cool about it is each of these four nations that I mentioned, the elemental nations, is very uh, carefully and studiously based off of a different Asian culture. So the Fire Nation is based off of Japan. The Earth Kingdom is based off of China. The Air Nomads is based off of India, like a mountain Indian culture, Nepalese mm-hmm. uh, as well. And then the Water Tribes are based off of Inuit culture. And it's just very cool uh, how much research the animators put into the aesthetics of these nations Isn't the, the fire nation are the bad guys right so they is, are the is bad this guys. a political statement against japan or something uh no but they definitely did they have written that they drew the fact like the fire nation's imperialism is inspired by japanese imperialism in the world war ii era okay so yeah but the fire nation is not all bad so don't, don't oh let i get there who yeah, am i anyway. who am i yeah, i'll yeah. shut up but anyway slytherin aren't all bad exactly not all slytherins are bad not all orcs are bad not come on slytherin eh yeah Okay, so let me just let me dive in. Why am I talking about Avatar: The Last Airbender on forefront? The reason why is because this show um, not only is it beautifully made and beautifully written, uh, which it really is, and even though it was made for children, uh, tons of adults now are coming out of the woodwork, uh, kind of coming out as tremendous fans of the show, and then also as uh, you know, you can hear on other podcasts out there, um, very critical acclaim is being lauded on the show, but. What really stuck out to me is there are a, there's a large number of obvious themes that Christians will find in the show that are drawn from, if not Christianity itself, um, religiosity. And if you are a Christian or you have a Christian home and you're watching the show with your children or something like that, these things are going to stand out to people that have a relationship with Christ and things like that. So uh, specifically, some of the themes that come out so strongly in the show are the theme, the overall theme of redemption is a huge arc that comes up repeatedly throughout the show. Um, there's a, without spoiling it, there is a major redemption that occurs in the end of the show that is literally set up in the first episode. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a redemptive arc that goes throughout the whole show. Um, there's very, um, the idea of loyalty, both to family to friendships and to your duty or your calling like the idea that there's something that you are supposed to do uh and even when that is uncomfortable or you don't it doesn't feel doesn't feel right if that's what you're supposed to do that's what you're supposed to do and that's an interesting theme that comes up a lot um there's also an overarching theme in both shows of uh kind of the spiritual versus the technological so different Mm -hmm. nations and different people in the world of avatar um have kind of turned their back on the benders and the idea of the spirituality um, or the idea of the divine in favor of um, purely uh, scientific technological world yeah. and kind of saying like, we don't need that old spirituality anymore. That's for our grandfathers. We can do all this with tech. And then yeah, it's you like know, these hokey religions. Exactly. And- <laughs> exactly. No. Yeah. And, and again, that is a, that's a, a theme that is played with in, you know, or delve deeply into in both Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, like these other fantasy stories. Yeah. Um, very cool. And then also they hit straight on. It's not even subtle. The idea that the degradation of culture 
rooted in the degradation of individual morality. So we got mm. like culture is falling apart because of the mor- moral choices of individuals is yeah. directly the result of people choosing to no longer follow the avatar. Mm. So I'll speak to the elephant in the room here. The avatar is clearly based off of Hindu and Buddhist ideas. The word avatar comes from Hinduism, but um, what's so interesting and Christians, I've talked to many Christians who have enjoyed the show and they talk about the fact that um, the idea of the avatar. So what an avatar is in like Hindu belief is a deity that has been born in human form in order in order to walk among the people and teach the people how to be more divine. Sound familiar? Right. So even though in Hinduism and Buddhism, the idea of the avatar is not a soul avatar, like there was one avatar that came for all time, like mm-hmm. we have in Christianity, but it's, it's impossible not to notice the similarities between this idea of an avatar and the idea of Christ. Yeah. And um, I have spoken to um, missionaries to Hindu cultures who have said that they use the term avatar when mm. talking about Jesus in Hindu culture. So, um, and the, crea- the creators of the show have also referenced that they took Jesus, among other things, as inspiration for the character and the idea. Mm. But, um, so the idea, the idea that sticks out to me the most, besides the redemptive arcs, which are so clear and so powerful, is the idea that um, the avatar in the particular show um, is a young boy, he's 12 years old, he doesn't... Uh, Unlike Christ, he it kind of bumbles around and doesn't know what he's doing. And that's like part of the adventure. He's trying to figure out how to come into his divine right as the avatar and bring balance and peace to a war-torn world where many people are turning away from traditional spirituality. And mm-hmm. so he is he comes into this tremendous burden of not only bringing peace to the land, but also showing people why following the divine following connecting with the divine through the avatar is essential for their, their health ultimately. And, um, uh, but one thing that's so interesting is a theme that maybe not people that are not Christian would not recognize that pops up repeatedly throughout the show is even though the avatar himself, his name is Ang, even though Ang is the hero, you know, I'm putting air quotes right now that you can't see. He's the hero of the story, but really he really isn't the hero at all. He's, he's a vessel for the divine. And a lot of times when the, the, they're put up against these tremendous challenges, Aang will try to solve the problem himself, like through his own power, and it just won't work. And then the divine will kind of invoke itself through him and solve everything. And only the avatar has the ability to connect to the spiritual world. And when he opens himself to his, they call it the avatar state, but he opens himself to the spiritual world. He loses control of himself and suddenly the, you know, God or the spiritual world, whatever, you know, they don't really give a name to it in the show, but enters in and like fixes things that humans cannot fix. Right. Mm -hmm. And this idea is something so rare in contemporary stories in general, but specifically in fantasy stories where most of the time, the hero in the end is the hero because they personally by their own like will or their own skill or, or luck or whatever it may be Mm. overcome evil by being themselves, themselves being true to themselves, whatever. And Mm. in avatar, there's a very clear 
message that comes time and time again that Aang, whenever he tries to do it by himself, he loses. And then when he's like, oh, wait, I'm the Avatar. I have to connect to divinity. Yeah. yeah. He, all of a sudden, he, he, literally, he literally gives up control of his own body and his eyes turn white. And then all of a sudden, he's the Avatar and he's unbeatable. That's cool. And one of the things that made me very, uh, that really like spoke to me, I was talking to some friends about this, is it reminded me a lot of what it's going to be like when Christ returns. Because it's funny to get this idea from like a children's show, but we really were thinking about it a lot. This idea that like humanity, you know, it, we are, we try to do these things. Sometimes we think we can do things in our own power. Sometimes we, you know, build the Tower of Babel, you know, and stuff like that. And we just fail time and time again. And Christians, we try to follow Christ. We fail at following Christ constantly. We try to bring Christ's kingdom to earth. Sometimes we're failing at that, you know, stuff like that. But in the end, Christ is going to come back and then there's no more failure. It's impossible to beat the Avatar. You know, when Christ comes back, he will just clean everything up and wipe every tear away and his judgment will be final, you know? And it's just a cool, it, it's a rare theme to see in yeah. today's media. So, so while these other civilizations are practicing technology, you know, deus ex machina, yeah. here you have deus ex avatar. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I, I could talk about this all day, so I'm not going to, but I, I just want to, uh, before I, I leave the topic, I just, I need to give justice to, uh, besides the avatar's plot himself, there's a side plot throughout the first show between two characters, um, Prince Zuko of the Fire Nation. He's a banished prince of the Fire Nation and his uncle, General Iroh. And they have a side story. And the pretty much their entire story is Zuko is an angry and rebellious teenage prince. And his uncle is a seasoned, um, wise, retired general who has, not unlike what we were just talking about with your thing, Nate, who has been there and done that and seen the futility of what this teenage prince wants. He desperately wants honor and respect and to win in battle and to be seen as the greatest warrior in the fire nation. And his uncle is like, dude, that's not what it's about. Like, he's like, trust me just, and, and, you know, and the, the, the evolution of Zuko's character through this slow, slow, uh, chipping of his mm-hmm. uncle's words against him is a very interesting plot in the story. And um, without, I don't want to give too much away, but I, I really think that uh, if you watch the show when you were a kid, it's worth a rewatch. If you've never seen it, uh, even if you're an adult who, you know, it looks like a kid's show, but it's really quite uh, deep and I think it's worth a watch. Um, so mm. that's Avatar The Last Airbender. Wow. Rich, I, I had my doubts there, man, about this segment because I didn't know where you were going. But you knocked it out of the park, man. Thank that, you. I sincerely want to watch the show. The whole thing about the Avatar being unbeatable is exactly what you know. Uh, Peterson was talking about in Nate's segment there about uh, adventure and wanting to feel, you know, wanting to be a part of some heroic mission, right? Mm-hmm. So all of that is yes, that is still there inside. 26-year-old Cody yeah. Schweikert. Like so. Mel Gibson with a bat, you knocked it out of the park. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. M. Knight, <laughs> shout out. I will Back say, to too, for your sake, Cody, and anybody else, the show is a bit of a slow burn, so I will say, when someone re- recommended it to me, the first, like, maybe five, six episodes, I was still like, you know, I'm not so sure about this. It's, it's very childish in the beginning, mm-hmm. and I remember being like, 
okay, but one of my friends that I really trust was like, trust me, you will like this. And I, he was completely right that by the end of, you know, season one, I was watching like six, seven episodes in a row. You know, so like, yeah, Don't you well, love it when people are like, this is a great show. It finds its footing in the seventh episode. Yes, <laughs> you're yes, like, oh, yeah, yeah. come on. And you're like, ah, yeah, yeah. It's like if you, if you tried The Office and you don't like it, that means you only watched the first season. Yes. And if you yes. watched more than that and you don't like it, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. That's my opinion anyway. Bold. Special shout out, by the way, to uh, our boy Casey Sukavong. He's in our Bible yeah. study, and he couldn't be here today. He definitely should have been on this episode. He loves the Avatar, and I'm pretty sure he's he's, been he's the me. one that got yeah, me to watch it. Yeah, he's this uh, unknown friend we've un- heretofore unnamed, but sure, Casey Sukavong. Yeah, shout out. Yeah. I just said heretofore. I have no idea if it was proper. We're gonna keep rolling. Well done. Maybe they could do a, a forefront. After dark about oh, oh, whoa, whoa, Nate, Nate. First rule about forefront after dark is we don't talk about forefront after forefront dark. before dark. Yeah, those those episodes will be released when we're long gone. Yeah, from the archives. It'll be the posthumous release. <laughs> the posthumous will release them on vinyl or compact disc. <laughs> compact disc. <laughs> those will be released in AD. It is currently. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, and All right, so I've got yeah, we've been rolling here, boys. I've got one more thing to say. Um, and I'm kind of breaking the rules of the arts review because I don't necessarily have art to review as much as I've got this principle that I've been thinking about as a result of enjoying some art. Prince Ipole. Prince Ipole, which you will understand in a moment. Nate's clever little pun. But uh, yeah, so here's my premise here. How you say something is almost as important as what you say. So how you say something versus what you say, right? So we all know, you know, there are heretical teachers who don't preach the gospel, but they're incredible speakers and they're compelling and inspiring and how they say something is passionate and captivates lots of people, right? Now, what they're saying is the problem, right? They're not preaching the full gospel. Maybe it's prosperity teachers, whatever. We talk plenty about that in our tribe, right? At, at least, yeah, at least the circles I run in, we're very aware of, of that, that danger. Sure. On the other hand, though, I don't know if we talk often enough about the opposite, right? So orthodox, like pastors, preachers, uh, music, messages that are true and spot on and faithful to the scriptures and all that, but maybe a little bland, maybe a little boring, like, and on the third day he rose again and death has lost its sting and it, it sometimes we walk around with this faith that is awesome, right? In the tr- most sincere sense of the word, awesome. Mm-hmm. And we talk about it like so matter-of-factly, like we're going over our tax return or something. And so I've been thinking about that. And sometimes you get this with hymns a little bit. And don't 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 write any hate mail. I love an old-time hymn now and then, Okay. Uh, hymns are wonderful because the theology is deep and rich and explores the, the depths of the beauty of the cross and justification by faith, all that stuff. That's, that's one of the reasons hymns are so wonderful. And sometimes you just want a slow, quiet, chill hymn that sounds like it's 200, 300 years old. There's a time and a place for that, don't get me wrong. But this is part of the reason I fell in love with Christian hip-hop is because these guys are, these guys are reading the same book. They're being shaped by the same God. And they're just kind of singing about it a little differently. They're making music that's a little different. There's a little attitude to it, the kind of attitude you find in Scripture. 
uh, where God like laughs at his enemies and he's got this kind of divine swagger about him. Jesus does. And for lack of a better term, that's kind of what I find in scripture. And I've been catching, I've been encountering a couple things here and there that kind of get that. Mm. And so they're saying the true thing, but they're also saying it in a way that suggests they actually believe it's really true. Yeah. Right. So here's my two examples. Prince. Okay. Prince died a few years ago, right? Incredible, like... You mean the artist formerly known as Prince? The artist for, So, pop rock star... I wish we had someone that was, like, over 50 on the show because they yeah. would be able to explain, like, what a big deal Prince was. I know he's, like, just below Michael Jackson as far as icon and that time and era and genre, right? Yeah. But, I, so I... Prince is a big deal. That's all I know. Never really listened to his music, but I was listening to the... Josh Garrell's playlist called Spiritual Songs, which, Nate, I think yeah. you reviewed once on an episode of this show. I don't remember. I, I definitely posted it in the Forefront chat. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, there's this playlist. It's at least a year or two old, but it's we called... We share that on yeah, our Yeah, share that up yeah. for yeah. us, Rich. So, it's called Spiritual Songs by Josh Garrell's, and I discovered the song by Prince. Well, Josh Garrell's discovered it and sent it to me, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's by Prince, and it's called The Cross, and it's about just what you think it might be about. It's about the cross, except... So so the the lyrics aren't necessarily like these mind-blowing poetic uh, theses or anything. It's pretty simple, right? It's about the cross, it's about hold on, it's about don't give up, endure suffering, he's mm-hmm. coming back for us, that kind of thing. But yeah. the way it's sung, there's a raspiness in it. There's a, there's a reality to it. There's some heavy drums, there's an electric guitar in it, there's some passion behind it. And so yeah. that's it's a one, little bit of an electric sitar as well in the end. I don't know what that is. Sweet. What, what is what, you know that like Indian instrument that is oh. used sometimes in like Beatles music? Yes, I do. Yeah, I caught that in the end of the song. Well, so. Rich, you've got rad. It's like got, the avatar version of electric guitar. Oh, yeah. okay. Electric sitar. You guys have more seasoned ears than me, but all I know is it sounds good and it kind of, that the way it sounds reflects what it's about, um, which it's I love. About. The Prince of Peace. That's right. The Prince of Peace. Um, the second thing is not necessarily art, but it's a, a preacher from Jacksonville, Florida. His name's H.B. Charles. Black guy preaches at a black church, and it is just like you can hear, you can find the podcast. That's how I found the, the sermons on a podcast show called Cutting It Straight. And it's really just this guy's sermons at church. But the the church, the gathering of people is as much a part of the episode, the sermon as the pastor, right? Because Mm -hmm. they're responding to what he's saying. They're expressive. They're passionate about it. And so when H.P. Charles reads like incredible passages about Jesus quieting and calming the sea, he, he, he reads it like with authority and, and expresses how, you know, I imagine Jesus was kind of, expressive when he said some of this stuff right so there's some emotion behind it and i don't know i've just been mm-hmm. reflecting on that and those two things specifically have have uh, inspired that reflection so yeah it's okay to it's okay to mean things when we say it when we read it um yeah yeah i don't know have you guys what, what, what's your response to that are you are you vibing with that or you have any pushback on that it's kind of a raw thought that i just brought to the table but yeah what do you think rich I mean, I'm vibing with it. It sounds good to you me. You vibing with me, dog? Yeah, I mean, I don't, have, I don't have anything profound to say, but I mean, that sounds good to me. It looks yeah. like something like I mean, I, I like your point about when you were talking about like, you know, hymns and the rap music you've been listening to. I think the, the, the piece there that resonates with me is that 
you know, when, when we read scripture, there's so much there. It's literally the word of God. And God has all of these like aspects to his personality and things mm-hmm. that are brought out. And like in scripture, we find so much lament and so much joy and there's so much suffering, but there's also peace and there's, there's evil, but there's transformation. And it's like, there's all this there. It's like, it's, it's literally the story that God is telling and everything is packed in there mm-hmm. and God is the one writing it and telling it. And so we can write all kinds of songs, right? And it's like the, the hymns, tell us and and help us to focus on a particular part of that. And I think what we often find in hymns is reverence, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of what we need now is reverence, right? Because for so long, like youth group has taught us to take God kind of flippantly. Jesus is our homeboy. Yeah. And so the hymns bring us back and say, look at almighty God, like he deserves your respect. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, but the rap music that you're talking about and, and the spoken word it brings out this other aspect that the hymns did not bring out because the hymns weren't God. They were trying to reflect a part of God and who he is in his word. And these, and the spoken word music that you've been listening to is like bringing out this other aspect of God where there, there is, there is attitude. There is force. There is this, um, confidence that God has because he's God and you're not. And he knows how to express that. And, and that, that spoken word music often does, it expresses that confidence that's not this kind of the meek and mild side, but it's kind of that, that confident, mighty, forceful side of God, which is also a reality of God. And it's cool to like, yeah. you know, experience that too. Yeah. I, and again, I, I know I critiqued hymns for a moment there, which is dangerous ground, especially <laughs> in the Mancini home. But uh, I love hymns. My favorite Christian song of all times is a hymn, and uh, but but I think you you said that well. There is a a complexity and a multi you know multi dimensionality to God that. Uh, well, I think that's such an important thing too is that God is so multifaceted that even our our best attempts to like depict him in song or in mm-hmm. art are always going to only be one Slice. or some yeah. of his yeah. character. And so I think that I, uh, one of the problems in, you know, not that I'm a church historian or anything, so take what I say with a grain of salt, but I think one of, a lot of the problems in church history, you know, is the fact that we have these these very powerful churches over time disagreeing on which facet of God's character to focus the hardest on, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think that, that is, uh, this discussion we're having is an important one in the church. Yeah. yeah, my only argument is this: God has emotions, so you know He has many of them, and they're complex. But it's okay. It's okay. He's not a robot. He's you know, not a robot. You know the idea that, like, when people say, like, "What if there are colors that we can't see?" Like, could you imagine right, that? Right? right, and we can't imagine that. Like, mm-hmm. God probably has emotions that we can't feel. Oh yeah, you know, it's certainly yeah. a more complex emotional life than sure. than ours. And God right. can certainly see colors we can't see because, like, yeah. certain cats and stuff can do that apparently. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. if a cat can do it you yeah. can, cat, cat, God can and we know that cats can because they told us they said oh right right, right. oh yeah um yeah all, my final thing is this if you're not at least tempted to dance a little bit on easter maybe maybe you get a little more to discover you know like we all do about the gospel so amen all right that's that's it boys we gotta we gotta wrap it up we've got uh We've got huge business forefront 
meetings with executives and high rises to take care of. Figure out what to do with the skyscraper. <laughs> yes, the skyscraper is <laughs> empty. We need some oh, decorations in this office. This is a weird time to be moving into the city, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Still in the suburbs, Rochester, New York. That's right. <laughs> we are. Truthfully, we are. We are in a basement. Truthfully, so almost. Is this the basement, Nate? It's a split level, so this is this is not not the basement. The right. This is the ground, ground level. It's, it's the already, but not yet. We're just at ground level. Yeah, that's Ooh, right. We I like can look that. down on the lawn. All right, friends. That's all we have for our show today. If you enjoy this podcast, consider leaving us a five star rating and a glowing review. That would mean so much to us. Until next cool. time. Keep pursuing authentic faith and excellent art.